and um, a great welcome to everybody. Um, the team told me during the worship, actually, that we've got over 100 people joining us on Zoom, so that's great. Um, so fantastic. Those of you joining us on Zoom, you're very welcome, and um, thank you for being part of tonight. Um, so tonight is our vision evening, um, and um, it's an interesting time, isn't it? I, I loved preaching yesterday. I think we had a, an encouraging day. And um, if you weren't here in church yesterday and didn't get to hear the message, um, I do encourage you to perhaps go have a, a look at that. It would be a good setup for the start of the year. But at the heart of the message um, was uh, Philippians chapter one, which we're preaching through Philippians this term. And um, these verses really struck me for tonight as well. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that was a note I really wanted to strike um, at the start of the year that we're incredibly grateful for belonging to church together. And we are in awe of our amazing God and we take confidence from him and know that he will always be with us and for us. Won't never let us go, um, won't ever let us down, but has taken hold of us for good. Our destiny is secure because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I thought about that for tonight as well, because it's the same sort of thing. I thank God for all of you, for your partnership in the gospel and I want to share something tonight, both, both of thanks to you for what you do and confidence in God for what lies ahead. Um, there is a lot to celebrate. Uh, we have had Christmas, and despite all of the last-minute changes and chances, we did have a great celebration of Christmas. I managed to scrape a couple of, a few photos up there. Um, we had a fantastic Carols by Candlelight, which became the biggest service of the year. Um, it was meant to be the first of the biggest services of the year, but it didn't quite turn out like that. Um, but even so, I think, I, I don't know how many people we had, but probably about 450 people. We were right at capacity for that service. And then, um, of course, we had to do a very last minute change. Um, and thank you to Martin and the worship team for pulling that off, that we ended up doing carols in the car park. Um, I've got to say, it would have been, much the poorer without Ken's fire pit. So that was a fantastic addition. Um, and a great, very different kind of celebration of Christmas. And then the team worked really hard to film it and to edit it and to get it out in good order so that we could join together with the contemporary carols that we had hoped to do in person. And that um, filmed version has been seen over 1,200 times. Now, I think we, we might have seen 400 people at the service, so three times as many people have been able to engage with that. And then, obviously, all the work that had gone into the production, then we were able to put out uh, that you can't quite see it there. It's a little bit shady, isn't it, the bottom right-hand corner. But, um, again, that production of a great light. So if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, great. it's a lot of fun. Um, so do have a look. Again, I think we've seen about 600 views on that one, which is uh, really encouraging. So thanks to everybody for all of that. Um, there is so much to celebrate in the life of the church anyway. Um, our continuing ministry online that, that we get, um, Becky and I have through New Wine Mission trips and uh, through the other New Wine movements, 
we've got friends all over the world and we end up getting messages on a regular basis from people in Sweden and Finland and Holland who are watching our services every week. So tracking along with us. Um, and it's just, it's great to see that we are having a, a, a really strong online presence still and um, lots of encouragement. We had something from Canada recently from the mother of one of our interns and um, they're watching the services as a family every week. And um, because of what we as a church were able to do through the discipleship year for grace, um, they are trying to start a new wine discipleship year in Canada. Um, we recently started one in Brazil as well. Uh, so it's great to see things that have been pioneered here being expressed in other parts of the world as well. It's great to see as well practical support going out from the church to connect with people. Um, there's a lady in the congregation you might not have come across yet called Julie. Um, she's a remarkable lady. She um, has just been awarded a CBE for some of her charity work. And uh, she only joined the church a, a few months ago as a result of being helped through the hardship fund as well. And uh, it's very um, positive about her encounters with us and being part of God's family through that, um, telling everybody that she can about it. We've seen real encouragement through Alpha, people coming to faith. We've got adult baptisms on Sunday night, and uh, we've got a few more people that we're trying to, we know they're there. We're just trying to persuade them to get baptized. So hopefully a bunch of adult baptisms at Easter as well. Um, so there's lots of great stuff to celebrate in the middle of what has been a very disrupted and quite difficult time. And I want to say a big thank you to the team as well. I know a lot of you are really appreciative of, uh, of all the staff do. Um, and I think the longer you're around in a church like All Saints, the more you realise that this is a massive partnership between lay volunteers and the lay staff and the clergy. And it's, um, it's really important that we want to honour everybody. Some of the load of the last couple of years has fallen disproportionately, particularly uh, in the office and on the tech teams because of the ways that we're doing ministry. So just want to acknowledge that and acknowledge as well um, people stepping up. I was slightly taken out, if you remember, um, at the beginning of November, I had managed to trap a nerve in my back. So I was not doing brilliantly. I'm pretty much better. Thank you for asking, um, which you all have been. So I'm not just saying that you all have been asking. So I'm, I'm pretty much better. But I realised um, about a week ago, I was telling everybody I'm absolutely fine. I have no problems at all now. And then I started working full tilt again. And now I'm feeling little twinges every now and then like that. Um, and so I know, I realise I actually need to be a little bit careful not to sort of set it off again. And I was just thinking this afternoon that in some senses, my own little trivial kind of issue is a little bit of a metaphor of what I think the whole staff have gone through. That I didn't do anything, I, you know, I didn't particularly pull my back by doing anything outrageous uh, I, I sat down at a plastic table to have a cup of coffee with Jill. Oh, that's lethal. <laughs> Never do, don't have a cup of coffee with Jill. That will kill you for weeks. Um, so I'll just, I was just easing myself into a chair and it was like, uh-oh, that really hurts. Um, but I think probably what it was, was the result of carrying a lot of stress and strain over a couple of years and working in a really odd kind of way. Um, in my case, it's probably pastoral to do with spending way too much time on the computer and on Zoom and things like that. But it did kind of, that kind of thought of, I've been through that now and I'm okay, but I need to be a little bit careful. Some of that is kind of true of the wider team as well. 
Um, I think at one point last week, we have five of, five of the team off, either isolating through COVID. And we do have a couple of the team, um, Natalie and Sam, will be off for at least the remainder of this month as well. So just please just acknowledge that, um, you know, sometimes the staff are actually taking uh, quite a lot of burden during these times as well and do pray for them. Um, when they come back, they will need to be a little bit careful about some of the new patterns as well. Some of that is because the wider context that we're operating in is still challenging. And so at the moment, um, we are hopeful the pandemic might be soon over, but we are still living with the presence of it. I can see all your lovely faces with your masks on. Um, we are living with the present, even after maybe restrictions are eased further, we are going to be experiencing the impacts of what's happened in the last couple of years. That will be both personal and corporate. Now, on the, on the personal side of it, as I acknowledged yesterday in the New Year's letter and in the preaching, I think almost everybody is starting the year quite tired at quite a deep level. And um, particularly for those who are in key work or frontline positions, there's obvious reasons for that. But for all of us, psychologically and emotionally, because of the challenges and the deprivations that we've had, the uncertainty that we're living under, that is going to be having an impact. Um, a friend of mine showed me this graphic. Um, this is what the last couple of years have been like. That's why you're feeling weird. No, there isn't a lot of normal up there. There's a couple of things where it says normal in inverted commas, and it's not quite normal, is it? But if you look at that and you think, oh, that's interesting. The other one that is interesting is that you can often see this graphic of um, if your child is in year six, the last time they experienced normal school was when they were in year three, things like that. You know, We realise that um, people's... Um, my, my daughter, Rachel, is more than, is, I suppose, now halfway through her university career. And it has not been normal at all. Um, so we have been living under a very odd environment for quite some time. And as a result, we just need to take stock and acknowledge that. And that feeds into what we're talking about tonight in terms of vision. So that's the individual side. The corporate side of it, of course, is that we have had the opportunity to return to worship. Some people, it's not appropriate or safe for them to return to worship yet. So other people just don't feel that they're quite in that place yet, and we need to honour that. Um, and some people have just got out of the habit. So the return to worship has been gradual. I've often been saying in New Wine Churches that what we're seeing is we are seeing a return to worship, but not to work. For a lot of people, this has been... A disruption and a disruption produces the end of a chapter and the beginning of a new one and where you hit the end of a chapter a lot of people come to the conclusion now's the time to step down and at the same uh, in, in a similar sort of way that then immediately opens up a lot of holes in ministry um, so the challenge of recruiting sufficient volunteers to run our youth and children's work or to start up our midweek activities to you know that is a very very real challenge at the same time, we, we are seeing a, a steady growth back into the church. Um, this is what is being experienced across the country. We're not unique in this. In fact, I think we're doing better than most. 
95% of churches were back to in-person service. This is a couple of months ago. I imagine that's much higher now. Almost all churches, I think, are probably back to in-person. 55% um, are saying we really need to get some more skill about the online. But this is the interesting one in the bottom right-hand corner. The average in-person attendance at church services has dropped by about 32%. Now, I don't think we're at two-thirds of where we were pre-pandemic. Um, I think we're a little bit better than that in many of our services. However, I would say we're probably about two-thirds of where we were at the family service, the 1115, which is a demographic that has been really badly hit because it's, it's very, very difficult to minister to children online um, and to differentiate to all the different age groups that there are so that everybody gets something that's appropriate to them. And so sterling efforts done by the team to try and do that, but we are rebuilding. And the 1115 service particularly, it's not quite where it was pre-pandemic. The encouraging thing is it's really, it's beginning to move again, which is, which is great. The very interesting thing is it's quite a new congregation. Um, if you look around the 1115 service, there's loads of people who are new to the church. Um, people who made changes of church during the pandemic, a lot of people who previously were worshipping in central London and decided during the pandemic that they need to be more local. And so they're looking for an, a local option. Um, and not quite a number of people who have been drawn in because of the general questioning about their life and meaning um, and have been starting to come to church. Quite a number of people that were reached through our online ministry, you know, people coming in and saying, I've been actually tracking with you online for about six months, and now I'm here for the first time in person. So that's all very exciting, but it's quite a challenge. And so we're, we're leaning heavily into welcome, particularly in this month, to try and help those people not feel new, but feel that they are fully belonging and part of the life of the church. And so... I think even this week we're sending out emails to the many, many, many people that we have in Connect Cards over the last year or so. Because um, I think we're doing better in terms of rebuilding church attendance than many, many churches are. However, on the bigger picture nationally, particularly because in the Church of England we are kind of connected to all the other Church of England churches, the financial impacts are big. Um, the pandemic has been a revealer of a lot of stuff. And one of the things it revealed is that many, many churches were essentially propped up financially by their hall lettings, not their giving uh, by their, from their congregations. And so as soon as they couldn't get any income off of their halls, they had no ability to pay their way in terms of their ministry costs. That meant in our diocese that the, um, the shortfall of recent years, which was often you know, pretty bad anyway, about a million pounds a year. Um, during the pandemic, that shortfall shot up to something like three or even four million pounds a year and has accelerated the, um, the necessary cost cutting to try and achieve a balanced budget in the local diocese. Um, I've shared this before, but we, we, as the Diocese of Chelmsford, had to take the decision on high, I'm not part of the decision-making process, as you can imagine, um, but it was decided that um, we would have to lose 67 clergy posts in this year. Um, and that meant that a lot of, um, all the churches were assessed as to their viability or their strategic importance, whether or not the diocese would place paid clergy into those places. 
Uh, two of the churches in our team were characterized as being red, which is that if we've got to save posts, we're going to save them in those places. So that means St. Seds and St. Paul's Hainault, both losing their stipendiary leadership. So we've already seen that um, uh, enacted. So Gary and Alison left at the end of November, and now we have to work out how to run St. Seds Barking Side as part of our mission and ministry unit without any paid leadership in post living in the vicarage on site. It will also be the case for St. Paul's Hainault in um, probably by about Easter that Ken and Eve will move on and again won't be replaced. It's very challenging to think how are we going to do this. Um, the encouragement is that what looked really impossible with regard to St. Seds um, that we've kind of pulled it off and we've had a couple of months now of um, supporting St. Seds. Leadership has emerged in the parish, which we never thought it would do. Um, preachers and leaders uh, from across our MMU, not just All Saints, but from Himes Park and from, um, from other, other places in the MMU, they've come forward. So we're hopeful that the same sort of thing might happen at Hainault as well. And what we are is we are in a move to a situation where the role of the clergy has to be a bit you know, different. The good thing is it totally fits our theology that what we want is to see an every member ministry. Um, and the Church of England has recognised that. There is a project called Myriad, which is aiming to raise 10,000 churches that are led by people who are not ordained or paid. Um, now, in order to do that, you can't just take all of the expectations that you put on somebody like me as a trained and paid full-time person and dump it on a layperson who's actually, you know, working in the NHS or teaching in a school or working in a factory and go, you know, as well as all that, have all this. So there are different ways that we need to embrace of doing ministry, supporting ministry, training people for ministry. And um, we're expectant that All Saints will be one of the pilot hubs of learning how to train people to take those roles, to discern who's called to those roles, to invest in them, to deploy them and to support them um, so that we can sustain. This is not about maintaining what we've got, but actually sustaining the growth that is inherent in the kingdom. You know, often people go for church planting and multiplication and they just kill the leaders because they haven't got a very good way of doing it. Um, so we want to um, live out a better story than that. So, yeah, do pray, though, for the people at St. Seds. As I say, there's lots of encouragement there as to what we're seeing happen. Pray for the people at St. Paul's as we work out in the next couple of months what the pattern is going to look like there what the leadership will look like there. And it might well be that we need to come to the wider parish of all saints. But one of the issues that we have at St. Paul's is that we can't find enough people who are willing to be on the PCC or take roles of things like church warden. Um, so we might actually find that we, we need to kind of um, find people in the life of the wider MMU who are willing to kind of take a dual citizenship in order to bring their leadership into some of the aspects that perhaps are a little bit weak or unrepresented down at St. Paul's. Um, so watch this space. We'll probably be looking for that soon. So individual and corporate challenge at the moment revealing kind of personal and corporate weakness. And I wanted to share um, a word with you, which 
Um, it, it's based on a, a word I, I gave, I've brought to, to New Wine in the last couple of months. And um, I, I genuinely think it's a word for the church at large. Um, I've been asked to share something with God TV, so I'm kind of filming it tomorrow. Same thing. You get to hear it first. But um, I just, I was aware of a lot of leaders, and I, I think perhaps congregations are probably feeling the same now as well, feeling as we're coming into this new year that there, there is challenge and fragility. And uh, I, I found myself um, coming back to the passage in 2 Corinthians 4, where the Apostle Paul talks about treasures in jars of clay. Um, I often say to people, 1 Corinthians is where, as charismatics, we get our theology from. You know, signs and wonders, miracles, tongues, prophecies, this sort of thing. That's 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is what it actually feels like to pursue that. 2 Corinthians is the kind of like ministry is hard. It's that, it's a really difficult kind of epistle of brokenness and misunderstanding. But in the middle of it, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, we feel fragile and weak. But we have this in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, all power is from God and not from us. I've often said over the years, one of the things I long for at All Saints is that people will not look at us and go, what an amazing bunch of people. But they will look at us, see what God is doing amongst us and go, what an ordinary bunch of people. They must have an amazing God. So this is the way it works. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. So anybody who's feeling hard pressed on every side, Paul says that okay, that, that can be a normal experience in the Christian life, but the gospel produces the strength for you not to be crushed. We are perplexed. In other words, we don't know what to do. So if you don't know what to do, or you don't know how to understand what you see going on in the wider world. We are perplexed, but not abandoned. But, sorry, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then he, he goes on to talk about how the reason that we can do all of this is because we carry in our life the resurrection principle. So even when death is at work amongst us, we just know that that's the way that God produces resurrection and life. And this is one of those passages you kind of need to read backwards because this is the punchline of what he's been setting up for us early on. And uh, at the beginning of the chapter, he says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So we don't lose heart and we know this treasure is in jars of clay, but this is a mercy, um, through God's mercy, we have this ministry. It's God has, God has put us into this place. So the fact that we're, we're asked to do this and we're, as a church, we're thinking about all the challenges. It's actually God who's put us in this position. He calls it out of us. But even that sentence begins with the word, therefore. In other words, it's all based on what comes before. And what comes before is this reflection that he talks about in the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, where he says, we have a ministry which is not of a letter. It's not of the law. It's not a religious duty that's been put upon us. But instead, it's an experience of the Holy Spirit. It's a ministry of the Spirit. It's a ministry of life. And this is where we come back to adoration again, because at the end of the chapter, he says, we now with unveiled faces gaze upon the Lord. And as we do, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. In other words, the center of all of this 
is our own personal encounter with the Lord, that we, through Jesus, have been brought face-to-face with God. And as we worship him out of that intimacy, we are transformed, and us being transformed then becomes a ministry that God calls us to, not just to worship him, but because we're worshiping him and we're demonstrating the spirit of life uh, and the, um, the transformation of the gospel, that then becomes something that ministers to other people as well because they see it. And paradoxically, they see it even more clearly in our weakness than they do in our strength. Because when they see it in our strength, they just think we're wonderful. But when they see it in our weakness, they know that God is wonderful. And it feels to me that that is a, a significant word for us in this season. Now, in the context of New Wine, what I did was um, I sort of evolved some thinking about the gifts of weakness. You know, what, what does God bring out of weakness? And there were three things that really struck me. The, the first is creativity. You know, we sometimes say necessity is the mother of invention. So when we can't do what we used to do, We've got to get creative and do something new. And we've seen a lot of innovation in the life of the church. The obvious expression of that is what we're doing now online that we weren't doing before. But there will be new things that we're called to innovate out of our weakness where we just can't, you know, if it was fine and we had all the resources, we'd probably just carry on doing what we were doing before, wouldn't we? But we are driven to do something new by the fact that we're weak. So that's the first thing. The second thing is even more important. The gift of weakness produces dependence upon God. When it's all going well, we tend to think that momentum we've built up is the favor of God, and often it's just momentum. When it's all going well, we kind of pay lip service to the fact that without God, nothing's going to happen. When it's not going well, we get on our knees again, and we start crying out, Lord, if you don't show up, we're going to look really foolish. If you don't show up, nothing's going to happen, Lord. And I think um, I've seen an explosion of of prayer in the life of the church in the last couple of years. And I think we need to keep going forward on our knees in order to be the church God calls us to be. So those are two of the gifts of weaknesses. Two of the gifts of weakness. The first one, creativity. The second, dependence upon the Lord. The third one is focus and clarity. When you're weak, you can't do everything. So what are you actually going to do? And in the context of New Wine, what I was saying is, you know, one of the problems with leading New Wine is that we've been incredibly successful over the years. We've become big. When you become big, you become broad. You do everything. And then what you have to do is you have to stop and ask yourself, hang on, why are we actually here? What are we actually trying to do? Now, in the context of New Wine, we are actually here to advocate and work for renewal of the local church in the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of mission. In the context of all saints, I think something pretty similar, actually. I think the focus bit that we're being called to here is to really lean into an expressed dependence upon God and a desire to live out our Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. Now, when we're weak, we are uniquely positioned to do that. And that makes tonight a slightly unusual vision evening because Normally, the vision evening is about what we are going to do in terms of activity. And you come here and you're kind of excited to hear what the programs we're going to have and the the events that are going to happen and this sort of thing. 
I think where we're really at at the moment is we have to focus on ourselves. And so what we corporately are going to do is make space to encourage each other to develop our own relationship with God more and more. Um, like I said, uh, the pandemic is something that often reveals. Um, there's a great old quote of uh, G.K. Chesterton that I remembered and found a slide for. Here we go. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. In other words, if the pandemic has revealed that your faith is perhaps not as strong as you thought it was or doesn't give the answers you thought it was, the problem is not your faith. Well, it is, but the problem is not Christian faith. It might be your faith, which is slightly sub-Christian. And of course, we always go through that. And so um, there was a few years ago some really interesting research that said the problem with what's being believed in the churches is that it's not the gospel. And the analysis by the theologians was that many, many people who are in our churches, particularly evangelical churches, actually are adherents of something called moral therapeutic deism. There you go. That's a nice little phrase to kick around the kitchen table later. Moral therapeutic deism. What that is characterized is by this. Moral, my faith makes me a better, nicer person. Therapeutic, my faith makes me happy in a sad world. Deism, God's not at the center, I am. Now that sounds pretty familiar and you can imagine quite a lot of preaching hits all of those notes, doesn't it? You know, a lot of preaching that we hear in the evangelical church is actually basically saying, here's how you can be a better person, a happier person, and here's how you can be fulfilled. That is not the gospel. That puts us subtly at the center, and it, it just wouldn't work in most of the contexts of the world where the church is challenged or persecuted. And so we're going to use this series on Philippians to go, hang on a second, what is the gospel again? You know, what does the gospel ask of us? What does the gospel offer for us? What does the gospel challenge us to believe and put into practice? Because actually it's way better than some of those sub-Christian messages that are in the popular Christian culture. Way better. Because it has answers to the questions people are now asking as a result of the pandemic. And it has resources for the things that they've found themselves to be bankrupt in when they've found themselves challenged. Um. We're preaching on Philippians. When we come to Lent, I'm not entirely sure yet what we'll be doing. Um, I take note, actually, that our new bishop, diocesan bishop, has um, called for the churches to have a holy sabbatical during the period of Lent with the encouragement to not have loads of meetings, not do lots of business, not do lots of activity, but instead to create time and space for reflection and for rest and for prayer. Um, it did occur to me that actually, if you go into the Bible, Jubilee is a combination of a couple of things. Jubilee is both rest and justice. And I, at the moment, I'm thinking that we should probably hold those two together. And so what I, what I think we will do is I think we will teach into personal renewal and renewing spiritual practices the activities, if we have any, will be around encountering the Lord together and praying for the fullness of the Spirit. The personal reading that we would encourage the church and the groups to engage in will actually then be around about justice 
as well. It's often only when you stop that you can hear the voice of the Spirit speaking about justice. The reason why a lot of us are deaf to the cries of the oppressed is because we're just too busy to hear them. So when you stop, I believe the Spirit's voice will cut through. Now, in all of this, some of this looks like bad news um, or challenge, uh, and sometimes people get a little bit obsessed about the numbers side of it. Um, vicars are the worst, believe me. You know, lots of people on a Sunday, happy Sunday lunch. Uh, where was everybody today? Not so good. Um, I just wanted to comment a little bit on that um, because these two things are in intertwined. You know, a lot of the secular press will talk about the inevitable decline and death of the church based on the trajectory of attending numbers, right? Okay, and it's very easy to buy into that defeatist narrative, churches, churches closing, you know, stipendary ministers not coming forward, we can't pay for them anyway, lay people being asked to do more and more and more. In the um, early 20th century, a British historian called um, Arnold Toynbee, who looked at um, cultures that had been turned around. And he concluded that many, many cultures um, have been turned around by what he called creative minorities. In other words, you need not a mass movement, you need a small number of people who absolutely are committed to something and are very creative in the way that they express it. And he looked at lots of examples, including examples from our Christian evangelical tradition of uh, things like the Clapham sect and, and the way that a lot of social policies in our nation was changed. Um, somebody else called Margaret Mead picked that up. And uh, this is a quote of hers that I think speaks to the same thing. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And that's the point. The only thing that changes the world is a small group of people who are really, really committed. Now, of course, that drives us ultimately back to Jesus, because all truth is found in him. Jesus said his church is the salt of the earth. And I don't know much about cooking, but I know this. It's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. No, the key thing with the salt, Jesus says, is the saltiness. And that's really what the Lord, I think, is challenging the Western church with its flabby complacency to rediscover. The saltiness of the true renewed Christian. That is what will change the world. You know, an incremental, let's add a few more percentage of people to the church, isn't going to do it. A couple of fat legacies isn't going to do it. A renewal in the power of the Holy Spirit is. A small group of people who are set on fire with love for Jesus will change the world. Jesus started with 12. The world has been turned upside down. So I'm going to end now. We've got to nine o'clock. We're going to pray for about 15 minutes or so. I just want to say a few things. They're kind of key words to take. So... What is the vision for this year? Well, the vision is that each of us be totally renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit for a closer walk with God, an overflowing relationship that touches not just us, but those around us as well. To that end, prayer. If you saw the prayer net tonight, Helen put something on there. We need to keep going with prayer. And if anything, redouble our efforts to lean into it more and more. Not back off as the pandemic perhaps fades and activity starts again. So Helen's been um, running the House of Prayer. 
um, House Prayer Meeting. We're going to move um, to one in-person meeting once a month. Um, so on the second Monday of the month, we'll have a meeting here in church to seek the Lord, to pray, to share prophet, prophetic words and pray into them. And then on the fourth Monday of the month, it will be online on Zoom so that those who've connected that way can continue. We're going to continue with the prayer meetings that we have in the life of the church. So there are prayer meetings on Tuesday mornings and Thursday mornings. There are in-person prayer meetings. There are Zoom prayer meetings. We're going to lean into prayer. Then we're going to seek God. And we're going to be seeking God for the whole year with greater intentionality, but particularly during that holy sabbatical of Lent. We're going to create space in the life of the church to seek God together, to pray for each other, to step into a greater fullness. At the same time as all that, we need to keep reaching out, reaching out with the gospel um, through the Alpha course, reaching out pastorally through the bereavement course. Um, the bereavement course has been oversubscribed, so it's closed. We're going to run it again later in the year continuing to reach out through the hard, hardship fund and also looking for times when we think the nation will come together. So we, we have noted, obviously, the, clean, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. We expect there will be a lot of national community activity. We want to make sure that we, with the gospel, are right at the heart of that. We don't know what it will look like yet, but we'll make sure as things come out that we're planning ahead of the curve. So pray, seek God, reach out. I think one final thing I'd want to say is don't be afraid to invite people to come to encounter God in the life of the church. Um, I, we often do this meeting um, around about Epiphany. In fact, it usually happens on the night of Epiphany. And um, I remember a few years ago, I found a, a verse in the Proverbs that says, wise men save souls. Wise men save souls. They bring their treasure to Jesus. Wise men save souls. And the truth is that there has probably not been an easier time to invite people to church in my lifetime than the season we're now in. There is a greater openness to the gospel. There is a greater awareness of personal need. There is a greater search for meaning. There is a greater embrace of spirituality than at any time during my 36 years. Uh, or thereabouts. Um, and that means that you would be amazed who, who would come to church if you just invite them. And so my encouragement to us as a church would be, let's invite people to come and experience what we have, what we rejoice in, what we know. They'll see it in us already. May they see it more clearly. But bring them in to this place where they can encounter God.